Party time, Mom. Welcome to another episode of the Chad Brather Show, Studio 22, the mothership being driven by, of course, the puppet master himself, Mark Tate, sitting over there, hanging out. I was just over there. Um, you should have been with us, Mark. We were in we were yeah. in Las Vegas. We went over there for SHOT Show. And because uh, you worked with NRA for a while, right? Or with I, Ac- Ac- Yeah, Ac- I did. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And did you have to go out there to that a lot? Um, I didn't. They uh, they had like a separate crew they would send out there, and then they would feed it back to our control room, and then we would like do mo- like the graphics and stuff. Yeah, from there. Bougie Sean went out there with me. Party foul Steve had to do something lame, like his wife's fiftieth birthday, hey, that's so a he big couldn't one. go. Got to take care of her. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yeah. How was it? Did you have a good one? It was great. It, oh, we're not finished. Apparently, oh, it's apparently you got to have birthday year. month. Yeah, birthday year. Yeah. You know. Like Alaska, tell her to grow up. Alaskan cruise or something. Those are the kind of comments that get me in trouble. Just tell her to grow up, Steve. You talk to her. <laughs> Candice, the queen of the Ethiopians over there. My mind, my brain, my filter. As always, hanging out here in the studio, having a good time. I want to say thank you for going to watchchad.com and checking out some of that recent merch. Man, that Trump 2024 shirt. And yeah. now we've got the hat. See what... It was people's heads are exploding, Steve. I know it. Their yeah. heads are exploding. We had to double the original order. Yeah, people are losing their minds because I put Trump twenty twenty four. I mean, it's just totally making fun of the whole thing, right? Yeah, and people are get, totally melting down. I love it. I know. And you, know, you guys, y'all, y'all just want Trump to be the king. <laughs> it's funny but anyway people have been buying the i mean like crazy hats, these things hats. hats came out today yesterday yeah yesterday so today, these shirts well, just in a week i don't even know hundreds of them have gone out yeah. so go get one uh where are we gonna be steve we're going we're going to uh visalia california bakersfield, bakersfield california on the 30th and the 31st of january and then we're going to be in reno on the 1st of february so go go and get your tickets there come hang out with us now we're going of all places, Flora, Illinois. Yeah. Somebody said why, <laughs> and I'm like, where? Yeah, I know it's it's kind of Indiana-ish, but it's Illinois. It'll be fun. Yeah, we all have a big crowd there too. So yeah, and then we've got that show down in Corpus Christi on the 15th, and then Tomball, Texas on the 16th. So come on, hang out with us. Anyway, anyway, sitting here in the hot seat, hanging out with us today in the studio, Rebecca Bender. I've been excited to talk to you for a long time because you got one heck of a story. You've written this book. Uh, in pursuit of love, it's your journey, and we'll get into that. It's your journey of the unimaginable, really, as a father of three daughters. And I want you just to kind of take it and tell us the story, where you where you came from, how you the things that happened to where you are right now. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming. <laughs> um. I was born and raised in a small town in Oregon, real small lumber town. My dad worked at the local lumber mill, my dad's dad, my dad's, all my uncles. And I was just a small town, kind of average, small town American kid. I grew up skipping rocks in the river and riding my bike to my neighbors, you know, salt shaker with tomatoes in the garden. Just, we were like Friday night lights. Our football team had a float and a parade. And I mean, the whole nine, it was just your average small town. And... When I was nine, my parents divorced. It was a really ugly divorce. 
Um, my dad started drinking a lot, and my mom was suddenly a single mom trying to make mm-hmm. ends meet. And even though we were, you know, a normal kind of family, there was still vulnerabilities from that. I was an only child, and so it created things that I didn't even realize till I was much older of feeling really unimportant during this real volatile divorce, yeah. um, really unloved, unwanted. Everyone was just busy, busy trying to put their lives back together. And, you know, rightfully so. Now that I'm an adult, you can see why. You but see nine-year-old you doesn't understand. You just feel forgotten. You feel unseen. Um, but by the time I was going into the eighth grade, my mom had got a, a job at the big city, which moved us from a 3,000 person town to a 35,000 person yeah, town. So go. that felt the big city. Moving on up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was, you know, by then I feel, things kind of went back to normal. We found a new rhythm. My mom um, got remarried and things just were normal. I was, you know, played varsity sports in high school. I was an honor roll student. I was really always a kind of active, involved girl. I also found that I because I was kind of a latchkey kid, I didn't have a lot of boundaries. Mm-hmm. And with my outgoing personality and wanting to be a part of everything, having no boundaries wasn't really healthy. And so high school was just the party girl, right? I was a varsity goalie and a cheerleader. And I'd also ask the dude at Circle K to buy me alcohol and jump in the back of the pickup truck and head yeah. to a bonfire. It was kind of just normal, just how I think a lot of small town kids are. There was no reason to consider me like at risk or anything, you know? Yeah. Um, But after I graduated high school a year early, I got pregnant and I had to make a really hard decision. You know, I wanted to leave my small town and go see life and Mm -hmm. see the world and thought there had to be more than small town Oregon. And um, and here I was kind of back in my small town having being a teen mom. And by the time my friends moved out of one of their dorm rooms up in Eugene, Oregon, Uh, They had an extra room in their apartment. They invited me to move in. And I thought, finally, I'm going to get out of this small town. And my daughter was maybe six months old by then. And that's where all those same vulnerabilities of feeling really alone and unseen came back was in that college town. Because now I didn't have my family for support. And how long ago was this? Like what what year frame was this? My daughter's 20 now. So 20 years ago. Yeah. And. That's when I met a guy on campus who seemed to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, here I am, 18, I'm probably 19 almost by now, and um, single mom, 19-year-old single mom, trying to go to college, trying to figure out life, and he had all the answers. He had this big dreams, and he had this great job, and he was seeing the world, and um, more importantly, really wanted to be a family, and I desperately wanted that. I think broken nine-year-old me really wanted that, but I really wanted that for my little girl. I didn't want her to have a life like I had. And, um, and I fell in love. Happy new hair guys. You guys have discovered keeps hair loss. I know you have because we've been talking about it. It's a treatment. Just for you guys, and I say happy new hair because you're well on your way to keeping the hair you have. And listen up, 66% of you men out there are even going to experience new hair regrowth with Keeps. Losing your hair sucks. We know that. Do something about it. Go to keeps.com slash 
loss. Keeps offers the generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. And these generic versions are going to give you savings you won't believe. So what are you waiting for? With Keeps, you can save your hair without ever leaving your couch. Just answer a few questions online, snap a couple of pictures of your hair, and a licensed doctor is going to review your info and recommend the right treatment for you. Then it's shipped discreetly to your door. God, I love Keeps. Here's the new hair New Year hair. No, I didn't get it all confused. Happy new hair deal I got for you. Go to keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash loss to get your first order of Keeps hair loss treatment for up to 50% off. Yep, your first order for 50% off. That's keeps.com slash loss. Keeps.com slash loss. And I didn't realize that, you know, I was an 80s kid, so I grew up being taught stranger danger. Watch out for the white minivan and the guy that offers you candy, right? And like, don't walk to 7-Eleven alone and get a Slurpee. But no one taught me what to look for if you're involved with a con artist. No one taught me what to look for if the group of people that you're around are starting to slowly brainwash you. What are brainwashing tactics? How would you know? You know, that wasn't talked about it's still not talked about but definitely not then right and so the guy that uh invited me to move in with him after six months of dating was a trafficker and i had no clue so here's this guy who obviously is a charmer full of charisma and grace and these things Mm -hmm. and and you you know and you see that over and over again there's these people who just kind of have that way of pulling that rug over us you know that wool over your eyes so to speak and Mm -hmm. you don't see that person for who they really are how did you find out that you're now living with a human trafficker well you know there's obviously there's so much more to the story than we can fit in but my boundaries already started getting expanded from from a variety of other influences and after six months of dating, we moved to Vegas. He told me that his job was relocating him, that Vegas was the entertainment capital of, of the world, or and his bands that he was managing had gotten gigs there. Mm-hmm. And we had gone to concerts before and went backstage and met them, you know, and so it seemed legit. It wasn't, you know, just some random, yeah. you know, dream that he was selling. So it seemed like a believable thing. But when we arrived is when... He told me to get dressed up. He was going to take me out on the town and show me Vegas. And um, he drove me to an escort service right off the strip. And he said it cost him a lot of money to get me there and that he needed the money back. But that was money for his job. Mm. And I felt um, I felt stupid. I felt like oh, I feel like the naive small town young girl who didn't know how much it cost to move. So I felt dumb. I felt um, obligated that I'd used up this this person who I'd loved, you know, I thought I loved, I'd used up their money. Um, so I, you know, I said, yeah, whatever I need to do to get the money back. So you were manipulated with guilt at the well, end of the day. I even mean, then I was like, at first I was like, yeah, I'm from a small town, but escorts prostitution. I'm not, yeah. that's a line that I don't cross. I had already been, you know, involved in other dancing or private parties at frat houses. And so that was where I felt like my line was. Mm-hmm. And he kept pressuring, like, no, it's just dancing. It's not prostitution. I'm like, yeah, Vegas escort, though, that sounds like. And I pushed back. And that's when he slapped me across the face. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're going to go in that room and you're going to get my money back. And I can remember having this moments of, 
you know, being hit for the first time by someone you think loves you and you're young. And so you're like, I just want to go back to being hopeful and excited and um, feeling like I finally had the answer to problems. I just wanted to go back there. But then I got this stark reality that I can remember feeling like, I don't know where my daughter is. I didn't memorize this address. I didn't send it home to anybody. I, I just need to get home to my baby and, and maybe I'll just get the money back and maybe I can trust him and it'll just be dancing and things will be better tomorrow. And so you hold on to this, this false sense of hope that things will be different Mm -hmm. if you just comply. Part of it's out of fear. Part of it's out of naivety. You know, I think at 19, we all do things we regret. I mean, maybe people are judging by hearing the story. But if you can remember being 19, you don't always make the best decisions. And hindsight's always 2020. And here you have this 19-year-old girl who has a baby that she doesn't know where she is, right? Like, it's hard. It's hard to make decisions in the split second of what do you do. Yeah, and he he was using your daughter against you as well, right? By, you know. You have to come home. He's he's home with your daughter. Yeah. Right? And so you you are powerless in that situation. Yeah, this in the in the first time that he trafficked me, he his brother was watching my daughter, but throughout the next you know, time almost 6 years I end up being in human trafficking in Las yeah. Vegas. Now I end up getting sold and traded between multiple traffickers. He was just the first one. They call it a Romeo trafficker. There's also known as a gorilla trafficker. It's spelled both militant and animalistic. And mm-hmm. um, they use brute force. And I ended up getting traded to a, a gorilla trafficker who just beat me relentlessly. Um, I've had my face broken in five places. I've been to jail lots of times. I've had two of them tattooed their names on my back like a piece of cattle so I could be returned to my owner. Um, I've been hospitalized for dehydration and overexhaustion. I'd sometimes I'd be given an hour to sleep in the closet. Mm. Uh, I just wanted to die. Honestly, I got really hopeless. My family came to Vegas and took my daughter from me. And at that point I tried to kill myself twice. So did you kind of resolve yourself to thinking this is it? I mean, this is my life now. This is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Or did you have some, was there a sense of, I need to escape this? Uh, both. It kind of depended on the the season, right? It, there were definitely, I had multiple attempted escapes. So there were yeah. definitely times where I was like, I got to get out of this. I can't do this anymore. And I would fight back. Um, but I was also the one in the home. There's other women in the home and I was the one that would be beat the most. And I can remember him pulling me out and saying like, this one has a spirit that won't be broken as if it was a bad thing. And I actually remember feeling ashamed that I had a spirit that wouldn't be broken. Like that's how twisted. I mean, trauma in the brain is so fascinating, right? A lot of us don't realize how much trauma affects your mental state and your psychological well-being. But I can remember feeling embarrassed that I somehow couldn't get it right, that I somehow couldn't figure out the rules that I kept getting in trouble, that all the other girls seemed to comply real well, but I was the mouthy one. And and so I felt um, I felt I self-blamed a lot. Mm-hmm. And then there were times that, yeah, I just was like, I can't, I can't do this. And yet I couldn't figure out totally how to navigate it. I, I explained it like I felt like I lived in this tornado and I just needed a minute to like take a breath and figure out what to do. But yeah. the minute never, com- never came and you yeah. just live in this constant state of fogginess um, and real extreme abuse, you know, yeah. like this is real extreme abuse both at the hands of your abuser and at the hands of people that are buying you. 
So you just start living in this constant state of fear. And I got to a point where I've definitely felt like my mental sanity actually slipping away. Yeah. I can remember feeling like I don't know how to hold on. And well, you feel so separated. Yeah. And you mentioned, and you know, I want to make sure folks don't miss that point you just made because you, you've got the trafficker and then you've got the buyer. That's the person who is hiring you to come as an escort to come. And, and you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what you're walking into. Yeah. And you obviously have had, you know, sometimes there's the nice guys. Sometimes there's the mean guys. They're people. And it's all wrong. We know that. But you don't know what's on the other side of the door. Yeah, it's like playing Russian roulette. Every yeah. time you knock on the door, you have no clue if someone's <clears throat> going to be um, a jerk, if they're going to pull a gun on you, if they're going to pull a knife on you. I mean, this is, you know, there's... There's increased rates of homicide for women involved in prostitution. Green River Killer, he targeted women in prostitution. Yeah. And so you really get some extremely violent, very scary people um, because that's where they're taking out their extreme addiction. Yeah. Um, I've known, I knew two women that were murdered while I was being, while I was there in Vegas. Girls mm-hmm. that were strangled to death and thrown out in the hallway. Girls that was chopped up. I knew a girl was chopped up. In a box, who was another brunette that worked at the same escort service I worked for. Mm. And by the grace of God, um, the phone girl picked the brunette whose name was above mine on the board that night. Wow. And she was murdered. And so it's a very scary, dangerous world. Um, this is not a job like any other job. This is a constant state of fear and increased risk of, right? I mean, people get STDs, HIV, homicide. This is This is not a normal job. Yeah. And that, with that kind of stress on your brain, and you mentioned it, you, people can get PTSD from these kind of things, the, just the mental state, emotional state, not to even mention the spiritual state of what you're getting into, <clears throat> what you're being exposed to on a constant basis. It's got to take a toll. I was just, and I mentioned to Mark, I haven't been out in Vegas the last three days. And you walk through these places, you walk through these casinos, and you can see they're everywhere. You see these girls everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you can pick them out. You know which ones. Yep are the ones and you think well here's you know the average person coming through there right a sin city what happens in vegas stays in vegas so all these little catchphrases we throw around yeah you know it's, it's party central out there everybody goes out there to have a good time and then you you see these people and you you're th- you know the average person probably thinks well they're just making a choice to do that mm-hmm. they don't realize the seedy behind the scenes uh, network that's going on that's keeping them in that situation because I'm looking at these girls and, and it's like they're not happy I mean they're not there's no joy there there's a lot of emptiness yeah that's happening and I can't imagine that life but they're not there most of them aren't there by their choice right right I mean there's this real misconception that human trafficking is kidnapped children and overseas yeah and the reality is is in America sex sells right that's if you went into a room and there was a child crying handcuffed to a radiator on a dirty mattress, that's not really sexy for a lot of right. people that so traffickers have work really hard to keep their victims in mental chains so that their product is sellable. Yeah. And so you see girls that are being paraded around in Vegas, they have a smile slapped on their face out of fear, they're being coerced to do it, their children are being threatened at home, they're walking around, you know, acting like they're interested in you buying them for the hour because if they don't meet their quota, they will be beaten senseless or their child will be physically assaulted at home. Mm. That's that's what you're paying into. Yeah. That's it's 
it's shocking. And if people don't know what's happening on the other side, which is partly why I wrote the book, is I wanted people to know not only the lengths of manipulation and coercion and fraud that traffickers go through in the U.S., but I want people to know this is a very different world than you guys think. And if you knew mm-hmm. and pull the curtain back and come on the other side, right, of, of like I've seen, I hope that men would think differently about purchasing sex for sale. Yeah. It's a real slippery slope that you're actually engaging in the, in the trafficking of another human being. Because without demand, there would be no one to sell, you know, sell the victims to. The traffickers wouldn't have anyone to sell to if we didn't have this kind of demand. Yeah. And that, that's, the, that's the thing. We've talked about it on this show numerous times, and I've talked about it with a lot of young men, especially in, in different groups. We don't know how to call boys into manhood in this culture, in Western culture anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have these men who are living in a constant state of adolescence. They don't have their own sense of self-confidence and maturity as man. As men, there's a war on masculinity that's going on. And so men often find their identity and their sense of self-worth in how they relate to their work and to their women. Mm. And if those things get messed up, they don't know what to do with themselves. And so this, that notch on the bedpost, so to speak, right. that sense of conquest, which honestly testosterone makes us men the way they are, but it also makes us the pursuers in that case. And so they're like, Oh, I, I gotta, I gotta do this and this and this and this. And I've heard people say, I've heard, I've seen studies where that when a man is sexually aroused, his IQ can go down by 37%. Wow. That's why we do dumb stuff, Steve. Dumb For stuff. Sure. Really dumb sh- stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole thing. And so we, we look at this and <clears throat> all of that to say, men have got to get their drives and desires under control because you're funding a lethal thing here. Yeah. You're investing in in the, the wholesale loss of life here because even if a person is not physically dead, I've seen it, just it's just lifeless. Yeah. There's no hope in that. How did you get out? Yeah. Of well that? thankfully someone I mean it started with a tip from someone, right? You hold, you hear see something, say something. Yeah. Um it started actually right in Dallas. There was a tip that my trafficker had a home in Dallas and a pizza shop that he was laundering money through um, in the North Dallas area. And a tip came through and an investigation started. And after 18 months of surveillance, the feds uh, raided the Dallas house and there were warrants for his arrest and another victim. And because he had put everything in the victim's names and social in order to keep his hands clean. And this was the one that I had trafficking the gorilla trafficker i'd been sold to for three years i was in this home which is the longest in dallas no i was in vegas Vegas, but he had a place he had a place in dallas Dallas and a place in vegas and uh in 07 i think it was um maybe end of 06 i can't remember the the timelines in the book but um, by the way if you're just getting in here with us if you're just jumping on here you're watching it live rebecca bender uh she's written this great book in pursuit of love we're talking about human trafficking. And so anyway. So, yeah, the feds uh, surrounded one of the houses in Vegas to get the other victim. And I was, you know, around the around the corner in another townhouse. And I can remember being about 6 a.m. when uh, his phone rang and he jumped out of bed and he said, grab the kids and hop the fence and don't come back till you're called. And I can remember throwing my little girl over this six foot brick fence mm. to another 15 year old little boy. And um, we sat in the backyard of a neighbor's house and I. I can remember being really concerned that the neighbor was going to see us in their backyard. Not not concerned that the feds were coming or right. that, right, there was this looming prison sentence or your children being taken to state custody. I was worried what the neighbors would think or what the neighbors yeah. would see me. 
And we walked around in the neighborhood for a little while until I was called. And, and eventually, um, things didn't get better at that point. Things got a lot worse, actually. Nine months, uh, the, one of the women ended up getting sentenced to federal prison for tax evasion um, because he put everything in her name. And the feds were hoping she would talk, but she didn't. She was too abused and too afraid and too traumatized. And, and so finally, um, after nine months, he took a plea deal on a tax evasion charge. And so I knew he couldn't chase me this time because he had chased me when I tried, tried to run before. And I packed everything I could fit in a suitcase and I grabbed my baby and I ran. And something I think people don't understand, two things. One is the majority of trafficked women in our country and teens are the most at risk in our communities, the mm-hmm. most marginalized, a huge majority of trafficked women, young women come out of foster care. They don't have a mom to call when it's time right. to run. I was grateful. I called my mom. She put a plane ticket on her credit card. She can't buy a plane ticket with cash post 9-11. Mm-hmm. I learned that from an attempted escape, and the airline wouldn't, wouldn't sell me a plane ticket. Um, but they don't have anyone to call. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have a safe family to run to. Yeah. And so anti-trafficking groups that exist in communities all across the U.S. are, are f- doing phenomenal work because they're the place that people can call. They're the home that people can run to. They're the support that they need to help get victims out and escape. And I was really fortunate that I had a great family that was able to surround me and support me and slept on couches, got on government housing. And I remember thinking this sucks too. I like now I work this minimum wage job at a motorcycle shop. I'm the only female in the whole entire building. I'm working, putting tank bibs on soft tails. And I was like, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) This totally sucks. Did you did you have a sense of of did that give you hope though getting out of that or at what point in time did you did your life change ultimately on the inside yeah and and hope is born inside of you for life you know I had met God in the midst of my trafficking I got radically delivered from drug addiction mm-hmm. and I went back to my trafficker because I believed I believed him that it was the drugs that were now making him continue to sell me because we got the money back for the move. Right. Now it's the drug. It was just, you know, this constant excuse after excuse. And so I knew that God was real. Mm-hmm. I hadn't developed this total relationship that I had that I that I knew would change my life. And so after I got out, I started working at this motorcycle shop. I can remember just literally sitting at my kitchen table and just getting mad at God. Mm-hmm. I was like, this sucks. I don't want this crap either. Is this what you saved me for? Like, I don't want this. I don't want it either. Mm-hmm. This is living in poverty, walking to and from work because you can't afford a car yet, having horrible credit because your trafficker put everything in your name when you ran as punishment and let all the debt pa- stack up as, as like, I'm going to get back at you. Mm-hmm. People don't realize there's so many barriers to reentry. And, and I just remember thinking, I don't want this either. This is what you have, God? Like, screw it. I don't want it either. And I can remember very clearly hearing the voice of God say to me, if you give me the same amount of time that you gave the enemy, I will never be outdone. Mm. And I was like, all right, you got six years. And if this, <laughs> this ain't better, I'm out, Jesus. That's what yeah. I said. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know any other way to talk to God, but just be me. Yeah. And, uh, and I dug in and it wasn't easy. And, but I, I knew that I couldn't expect God to undo in 30 days what I had spent six years being exposed to in this really dark world and that I developed character and habits that were unhealthy. And so I worked really hard at like taking a budgeting class at my local community college and, and figuring out like maybe I can go back to school and taking night classes and, and it wasn't easy, but 
it was worth it, right? And it took a while. And after about a year, I felt like, okay, I can do this. There are millions of people in this world that don't sell themselves. I can figure this out. Yeah. And I met my husband and incredible man that just supported me. And, and when I started, would start acting crazy and be like, babe, you got issues. Yeah. <laughs> you got, yeah. I can remember him disciplining our, our toddler and uh, she was doing, you know, wet, wet noodle, like flopping. No, dad, no, you know, yeah. she's crying. And he would say, get up, you're faking it. Get up, you're faking it. I remember getting really triggered. Yeah. That's what my trafficker used to say to me when he would beat me. And he'd say, I didn't hit you that hard. You're faking it. And so I had this moment of this like intense heat, like rushed up my chest. And I wanted to scream at my husband, leave her alone. You're hurting her. And he he could see like something had snapped Mm -hmm. and he was like, babe, you need some help. Like you have some real issues that you need, you need to get to a therapist. You need some prayer. Like I'm, we can work through this. I'm going to cover you. And he just was such a great support to me and little by little. And he'd still say, if you had him on, he'd be like, well, we're still working on some things. (laughs) But, um, sanctification (laughs) takes a lifetime. (laughs) It's all a process. It's a process. But it was hard. Like turning your life around isn't easy. You don't, you don't get out of something like that. It's like bibbity bobbity boo. All of a sudden you have amnesia and it doesn't yeah. impact you. Like memories last a lifetime. You, you want to forget things, but you don't. And yeah. you know, I hate going to Vegas. You've been in Vegas. I, I went back recently. I was training financial crimes investigators, and because my trafficker was indicted on four million dollars of tax evasion, right. I and mean, this is major money. And um, and I remember walking in the hotel and just like the sounds of the slot machines and the smell of the yeah. the smell in the casinos and and instantly trying to like find the closest route to the guest elevator doors like all of that came back and I was like I don't like this I don't want to yeah. I don't want to be here no more <laughs> yeah. went right up to my room FaceTimed my kids and my husband was like I got to get out of here I don't like this <laughs> yeah so you took it you did and you meant you alluded to that you've taken it to the next level in a number of ways you've got ministry. Rebecca Bender Ministry. You've got the Rebecca Bender Initiative, and you you're working with law enforcement on a consistent basis. Tell me a little bit about all three of those things and how they work together, and and what the purpose of all of it is. Yeah, well, the initiative, the Rebecca Bender Initiative, is kind of our ministry, so gotcha. it's its own nonprofit. Um, Originally, I just started sharing my story because I wanted people to know this was happening in small towns, that traffickers were looking for people everywhere. Uh, There was a case actually from Portland, Oregon to Boise, Idaho, because I know when you think of trafficking, you think of Boise. Boise, yeah. (laughs) That Boise will get you. And and let's say something about that, because people think New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas. No, I mean, you got traffic from Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. Of all places. Yeah, in this case that, you know, we were... The, the investigator and the prosecuting attorney, there was a trafficker taking women from Portland, Oregon to Boise, Idaho. And when they arrested him, they did a forensic pull on his laptop and he was writing a book, a memoir on how to traffic women. And in it, he literally said, there's a whole bunch on Amazon. They self-publish all the time, teaching each other. Who the hell does that? There's forums that they talk to each other about different ways to use Maslow's hierarchy of needs to traffic. Literally, there's an article written by a trafficker called that. You're kidding. Me. No. And so this guy's book said, literally his words verbatim said, I like to target small towns with small populations. I let the girls know they're so much better than the small town they're in. I flash them a wad of cash and some pictures with me and my celebrity friends. And by the end of the night, I have those small town girls hooked. 
Mm. That's what he said. So he's people are targeting small communities. Right. It's a sense of naivety, not just from the victims, but from sometimes the adults there. Like, oh, well, they're just passing through. You know, you don't want to be that person that's like always suspicious of every new person in town. But if your gut says something's not right, call the hotline, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. If it's not a valid tip, law enforcement will just throw it out. But you never know, right? We were able to finally run because someone called and reported something. And you go into these airports, and I'm in every airport in America, I think. I mean, you know, we're in we're in 80 cities, 80 to 100 cities a year. And every airport you go into has got the thing. You go in the restroom, mm-hmm. you know, inside the stalls, or it, they've got the hotline right. that's there. Because those are the places. Those are the thoroughfares. And a lot of times I see parents with their kids going through security. And TSA will ask the kid, okay, what's your name and how old are you? And a lot of times the parents want to answer for them. And they're like, no, right. they got this. <laughs> and I've got a friend of mine who was traveling with two of her daughters. And they did that. And she goes, but they're only. And he goes, you haven't. Because she was going to talk about their age. Because she knew what they were doing. And he said, you have no idea. You have no idea how young these girls Come through, and so it's not. It's all the way across, and it's even boys, it, because again, the demand is there. Yeah, and perversion is perversion, right? Right. No matter how you tend to look at it, it's all perversion, and <clears throat> you're seeing an increase with boys, aren't you? There's definitely boys are being trafficked. It's it's a lot younger. Boys are younger usually that are mm-hmm. being trafficked. I think what's interesting that people don't realize is there's also there's 25 different types of exploitation that have been identified in America alone. So we're talking about when someone says pimps or traffickers, we all go to this, you know, stereotype in our mind of some whatever movie you may have seen that kind of jogs this image. But the reality is, is that in trailer parks in rural Oregon, you've got, you know, biker dads that are selling their children to the next drug dealer. Yeah. Um, that's a form of trafficking. Any exchange of mon- something for monetary value yeah. of another human being. So we've done investigations with law enforcement where literally moms were trading an Xbox and games for their kid, mm. um, trying to get clothes or Christmas presents for all of the children by selling their one child. It's, it's, it's horrible trauma. And I think for many years, most people identified that as child abuse, and rightfully so. It is obviously child abuse. But it's a different type of trauma when you have multiple perpetrators um, and you're sold by someone that you're supposed to love and trust, right? Child abuse, oftentimes what we would, what a lot of therapists would call child, you know, molestation is not exploitation because it's one perpetrator over and over and over again, but one perpetrator. When you're being sold, you're sold to multiple perpetrators. And so Mm -hmm. it becomes complex compound trauma, which is a different type of therapy. And so, right, proper diagnosis leads to proper cure. So we have to start identifying all the different types of trafficking, whether it's cantinas, illicit massage parlors in in your strip mall, online prostitution, street prostitution, Rural communities through biker gangs, street gangs. It's it's everywhere. This is a yeah. sex for sale is a multi-billion dollar industry. And if we don't think that there are bad guys that are trying to cash in on a small slice of that pie, then we're being naive. And so how do we protect our kids, boys and girls? But how do we also raise up our kids to be alert and sound minded and to be defenders and protectors, not someone who's going to exploit and objectify women? It's, this isn't just a girl's issue, right? right? You have three daughters, but you also have two sons, yeah. right? And so, like, how do you raise young men up to defend and protect? Yeah, yeah. It's not an easy job. I've got four daughters, so. No, especially in this world it, where, where things are coming at you, 
you know, we we often joke about, you know, we were kids. I was 80, 80s kid, too, you know, so you found your brother's Playboy and you hit it out in the woods and you ran out there, you know, and it's, it's been rained on 20 times. But, it's, you know, you, you found your nuts right in front of you. Yeah. I mean, here's this is a supercomputer right here. Yep. And pornography is there and images are there. It's constantly we're being bombarded. And yeah. most most young men, especially, they can't handle that. They don't, it's overload. They don't know what to do with that. Softcore porn has become our mainstream media. Yeah. It is every commercial, every billboard, every window dressing. And our three and four and five-year-old little boys and girls are being raised with that, you know, Playboy images at, constantly in their face without their consent, without without their ability to recognize what's even happening. Yeah. How do we raise our kids in this really <laughs> hyper-sexual, pornified culture? Yeah. I don't know that I have the answers. Well, I just... I. I you know, what I've told people is there's a verse in the Bible that says, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? The, the word for thinks in the Hebrew there is the word for a gatekeeper. Mm. And, and so what you allow access through the gate, what you allow access into your soul is what you become. And we're being bombarded with it. And it's just you can't help but see it. But to the degree you give access to it, it's going to torment you. Yeah. And how do you do that? You know, how do you train kids in this 21st century when they were just being inundated with it? Got to get this book. That's one thing you got to do right here yep. in Pursuit of Love because it tells your story, goes into some deep detail. And, and I'm not making, you know, we laughed about it, but you take a really good mugshot. You take a really, that's a really good mugshot. You, uh, all your mugshots. I put the mugshots on. I actually didn't want the nice photo. The nice I just photo. wanted the mugshots on the cover. And they were like, people need to know there's hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of our producers here in the building who will go unnamed. He said, he's, he, he showed, because we'd already scheduled you to come into the studio. And he comes over and he shows me the book. And I was like, looking at it. And, and he goes, she's hot. And I was like, <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> of course she is. Look at all these mug shots. They're fantastic. But no, how many times were you arrested? Well, how many times was I convicted? Or <laughs> How many times were you like picked up off this? I mean, like. You know, I thought it was six or seven. My criminal record shows four arrests, but I yeah. do remember a couple times begging. Actually, I can remember a time being arrested at the Wynn Hotel. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wouldn't solicit the guy. I could tell he was an undercover cop right away. This is why I train undercover cops now so they can be better. Because I was like, we you knew. We yeah. knew. Yeah. So you didn't, you know, you don't get arrested for solicitation. So I'm, I know he's a cop. I won't solicit him. And, um, and so all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and his friend is there. And they're like, totally different ages, completely different ethnicities. I'm like, oh, yeah, you guys are friends. You're such a great fit, you know? Yeah. And um, he said he pulled his badge right away at the door and said, do you have a license to be dancing? at this establishment did the wind give you a license because i kept refusing to solicit and and i said no and so he arrested he started to arrest me for entertaining in an establishment without a license which yeah. is apparently a, an arrest in vegas which i think is bizarre but yeah. anyway i started begging him to let me go i said tomorrow's my daughter's first day of school and i really want to bring her to her first day of first grade is there any way yeah. you can let me go and and he thought about it for a minute and he said I can't let anyone leave this room, but if you can get someone here in exchange for you, um, I'll let you go. And that was a real moment of like, you know, snitches get stitches. You don't want to, you, it's real scary. And I was like, I have to put my daughter first. And so I called the escort service. I said, they want a blonde. And another girl came to the door about 15 minutes later. And uh, I remember feeling really guilty that I knew she was about to be arrested. And um, I still regret that. I still actually, I don't even tell that story in the books. I'm so ashamed. Yeah. 
of having another person go to jail for me. But um, he walked me to my car. The officer walked me to my car that night and he said, um, I don't want to see you on this trip tonight or I'm going to take you to jail. And I slept in my car because my trafficker wouldn't allow me to come home without, you know, any money. At least I could come home and say it was a slow night. But if I came home early, I'd be beaten severely. So I just slept in my car in a parking garage that night. Um, and went home about two or three in the morning so I could be there for my daughter's first day of school. But, And that's one of the things. The reason I bring that up, I'm talking about getting arrested and things like that, is you're in many ways there against your own will. It's not your volition. You're, you didn't choose this life. You didn't choose it. You're being put there or else. Yeah. But yet you have to suffer the consequences of it. Yeah. Of the arrest, the convictions, the record. The record. All of these trying to things. get a small, trying to get a job when you're going back to your really small town. Yeah. So I, so I know someone's going to run a background check. It's so embarrassing and, and you feel ashamed. Um, you feel stupid that someone could have convinced you or, yeah. you know, how do you explain brainwash to someone who's never been treated like a prisoner of war? I mean, you'd literally come in and he'd beat you for hours and say, what's your name? And you'd have to say lawyer. What's your address? Lawyer. What's your phone number? Lawyer. And if you, I mean, that's, those are tactics that people use yeah. to really shift someone's, you know, mental psyche. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's hard to explain to people how that, so you're embarrassed. So yeah, I ended up applying for the motorcycle job because I was like, oh, they don't have background checks here. I'm just going to go work at a motorcycle <laughs> shop. <laughs> but that's my hard. first boss would call me in and he'd say, you can't dress like that coming in here. <laughs> can't wear a wife beater and, and ripped jeans. I have to have you. You've got you're trying to manage men. This isn't really how you want to yeah. look. Yeah. He really took me under and mentored me, though, in, in terms of like how to be a professional. It was a really great small yeah. town mom and pop motorcycle shop. And yeah. it was a really strong mentor for me. A good, good man. Well, the book is phenomenal. And uh, I love the fact that your emotions stay close to the surface when you talk about those things because that's that's brokenness and that's a good thing. We all we all have some element of brokenness and you don't wish what you've been through on anybody. I mean, that's a horrible story, but thank God you found hope and the peace that came out of it. And, yeah. And now know. we get to help law enforcement work cases, but we really like to, you know, I really like to speak and all different types of events and conferences. Yeah. I just finished my master's in biblical studies. I got ordained a couple of years ago. And so yeah. I love, you know, preaching at women's conferences yeah. and it's something that's different also than talking about trafficking over and over. And I like what we, obviously yeah, sure. I love helping people and we, sure. it's what we do. It's, it's my story. It's always going to be my testimony. And I love working cases. At first it was really cool, like going on undercover stings and mm-hmm. taking the stand at trial. And it's like, Oh, this is so fun working with FBI. Um, but I've been doing this 12 years now. And there's also part of me that, that longs to help all people know yeah. that their past doesn't have to determine their future and that you can use everything that was intended to, for harm, for God's honor and glory and helping people really get there has become, you know, that's the ultimate way to fight back and get it back. Yeah. Spirit that won't be broken. I'm, I'm coming for you. There you go. (laughs) How can people find you? Rebeccabender.org is our website and social media buttons at the bottle. You can click there bottom. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A folks. Correct. Yeah. So make sure you get it right. Spell your name right. Rebeccabender.org. Check it out. Get the book in pursuit of love. I love it. Very good. It's it's very, uh, you're very honest. 
Yeah, we had a, a hard time things. coming up with the title. I, I was like, ah, this kind of feels like a Christian 90s romance. Like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Hallmark Channel right there. <laughs> well, Hallmark, no. But um, yeah. <laughs> it is like a, tri- a gritty true crime. And then at the end, it's this story of hope and transformation. And yeah. so it's, it's really hard to find a title that kind of marries a, you know, a gritty true crime yeah. with, with a story of transformation. But I've the, read through it and I, I can see some of the dialogue that's in it, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah, well, that's that's honest. You know, that's honest. So it, it's good stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks. Now thank, you can, thank it's you. so honest that he's, Steve's going to have a great time um, screening all the hate mail. Yeah, yeah, probably so. But I was sitting over here thinking, I'm like, uh, when I was growing up, my mom and dad used to threaten to sell me to the circus when they came to town. <laughs> oh, got me thinking. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. You know. Us too. <laughs> you know, and we, I make jokes and, and I, you know, it's crazy. You know, like, like I was with some you know, we'll have the kids out, you know, or whatever. And I, they know me. I mean, that, my kids know I'm a jokester anyway. And we'll travel somewhere and recently had Brandon with me and, and we were, God, we were in a public place. It was in Seattle. And he'd get a little bit further. I said, don't walk off. You're going to get trafficked. You know, you just keep telling him, don't get trafficked. I'm going to the restroom. Don't get trafficked. And that's, you know, and it's such a serious issue. I know. It's but so I still want them aware. I, like, I really do want them to be aware. Well, at least we'll cause conversation later when it's yeah. appropriate timing. I know we, we were talking earlier. It's like every time someone meets me and they're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I ruined a dinner party real quick. Let's just <laughs> move on. Let's just move on. I, I train FBI. <laughs> I just leave it at that. I love it, though. I love it. That is fantastic. It's hard when you when yeah. you are funny because you try yeah. to land jokes, and when it's such a serious topic, yeah. you're like, "Oh, that didn't no." Can we? Oh, delete, I trust can me. We I know. That? <laughs> I have people all the time who say, "You can't joke about that." And I was like, "Well, I can. I maybe shouldn't, <laughs> but I can." And I, I don't always listen to my my better angels. I used to get people that would send in hate mail that would say that I'm I'm too happy mm-hmm. that I smile too much. Yeah. I would get that. People would write me and go, "You're too happy." Yeah. Like. I was trafficked. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I found Jesus and it gave me joy. I'm happy because I'm free. <laughs> Shut up. Get off my computer. Exactly. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you're happy, then tell your face because you don't look happy. And you know what? I think the person that has joy <clears throat> in their life, you know, I always say happiness is circumstantial. If your happenings happen to happen happily, you'll be happy. And if your happenings happen to happen unhappily, you'll be unhappy. Wow, that's a tongue twister. It is. Yeah, it is. But but joy doesn't depend on circumstances. But, and when you've got it, it your face usually shows it. It's contagious. That's yeah. the beauty of it. it. And what you have, like I can just hang out with you, and what you have is contagious. It's like if I smile at somebody, a stranger in public, they're gonna smile back. They're like, "You're not from New York, are you?" Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I if you know if somebody says they sneeze, bless you, and they go, oh, thank you. Right. Those those kind of attributes. Just hospitality is contagious, right? Well, and here's and the thing: like, joy is people don't people don't relate with being trafficked. It's an extreme, it's extreme. story. But the, the reality is, is we all have a story to tell. Yeah. We've all been through something. We've all been through trauma in our life. Over 50% of America has had divorced parents. Half of us have had dads that have drank too much. Like we all can relate with little pieces of yeah. each other's story. And when we can humanize each other and realize like we all have a story to tell. You've been through crap. I've been through crap. Everyone's been through crap. Like, yeah, I'm going to tell my story, but that doesn't mean that you can't have joy, mm-hmm. that you can't still, you know, enjoy life and, and realize, like, there's a time to yeah. be serious, and then there's a time to just enjoy your life. Right. I'm so happy now. I've got been married 10 years. I have four beautiful daughters. What's there not to be happy about? I'm so grateful to be mm-hmm. alive and to be able to use it for something. 
there's something about feeling like all of this wasn't for nothing, right? I'll be damned if this was would be for nothing. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that it was worth something and that it's going to make a difference for somebody. And there's, I think there's great joy in that. And yeah. I don't know. I hope people feel like they can do that with their own stories too. Go to RebeccaBender.org. We got to get you out of here. You got to go catch a plane. <laughs> look at, oh, look Thanks at the time. Thanks for having me. Oh, look at the time. <laughs> Rebecca Bender. And go get the book. Go get the book, In Pursuit of Love. Go online, do a little Google search, Rebecca Bender. You'll find it wherever books are offered. Yep. Because nobody goes to the bookstore anymore. Amazon. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe I'm not supposed to plug No, them. Amazon's everything. <laughs> okay. Amazon, I, listen, I'm, let's not even get into Amazon because I'm, I'm addicted. I, Jeff Bezos, have all my money. Here you <laughs> yeah, go. Take it all. <laughs> and then they've made it so easy. You just slide. Oh, you don't even go to the grocery store now. I'm this like, I'm just Apple sitting at Apple Pay home. thing is uh, <laughs> just everywhere. Just with a, just That's why we're bump, fat. Bump your phone. That's right. That's why you and I yeah, are fat. I am fat. Just oh, at home. Just food delivered. <laughs> Wine.com delivered. I know. I'm like, you know, you live like kings. You're, you're going to be fat like the kings. I get gout in my ankles. You know, I get the ailments of the kings. <laughs> ailments here we of are in America. You it's know, bad. It's funny. Watchchad.com is my website. Find us out on the road. Get Rebecca's book. It's phenomenal. Uh, if, you have a, if you have an organization, you have a ministry, you have... A big group of people, if you can get them to stand still or walk slow, have Rebecca come in and speak. Reach out to her through the website. Reach out to her. And uh, let's keep up with this story. Because, I, I it, you know, on the heels of this Jeffrey Epstein expose that we did, and in that expose, we called them slaves. I mean, we, we didn't even want to water it down with trafficking. Because a lot of times that's a sterile word mm-hmm. that people hear that. And they don't know. These were sex slaves that were being, you know. and But, but to your point you made earlier. He's well known. There's mm-hmm. all these people out there that nobody has a clue even exists. Right. And that's the deal. So praying for you. Thank you. Praying for your mission. And, you know, God bless our kids and everybody out there that are dealing with these things. Yeah. Rebecca, thanks for coming in. Party foul, Steve Candice, the queen of the Ethiopians. Doesn't she look Ethiopian? No. Why do you say that? Oh, well. Is there an inside Acts joke I don't eight. know? Oh, okay. Candice, the queen of the Ethiopians. Oh. Yeah. So that's I'm why. glad you clarified. I was like, what are you talking <laughs> about? See, people still. That's yeah. not politically correct, Chad. I know. Exactly. We don't believe we don't believe in it. We don't believe in <laughs> we it. We don't believe the, in PC and the puppet master Mark Tate hanging out over there. So, hey, thanks for tuning in. Go to our podcast or offered. Give us a rating and a review. Five star. That's what we deserve. And that's what we like to get. So um, God bless you guys. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.